Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Who here is passionate about culture? Alright, a couple of us. I am... Oh, culture is so huge. Um, we... We've done some work with one of the large retail banks in South Africa, um, specifically with their branch managers and area heads. We go on a journey with them for like eight months, and there's kind of five workshop experiences with stuff happening in between. Um, Very cool journey, really cool impacts we've seen from that journey. At the first workshop, we have a bit of an introduction session, um, and they asked us, they ask us, us as the, there's an external facilitator and an internal facilitator from the bank, and then there's a, the participants, the branch managers and the area heads. And they ask us to introduce ourselves in a real way, talking about, you must bring two objects along, one that represents something about your past, and one that represents something about like your dreams or you know, where you hope to get to. And for my dreams, where I get, I hope to get to, I took... Um, one of those shofar globes. You all know the little the squidgy globes that we used to pray for. Um, I took that and I said to them, my dream, I love culture. You know, all aspects of culture. I really appreciate diverse cultures. Um, I love traveling. That's one of the reasons why I love traveling is because it's so beautiful to see how cultures interact and how they create communities and how they do life and just how that's different. And there's so many lessons to learn in that, I think. Um, and then I say, say to them, I feel like I'm called for, for culture. Um, and I really believe that I am called to impact culture. And I believe you are too. I believe all of us are called as leaders, as believers, to, to impact culture. Um, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, thank you for this beautiful day, Lord, and the privilege of getting together in your house, Lord. Thank you that you are here, Holy Spirit. I just commit this message to you. I give it to you, Lord. I say, guide my heart and my thoughts and my mouth, Lord. Um, And I pray, Holy Spirit, you are the divine interpreter, Lord. And I pray that you make this message applicable for every person, Lord, um, in their hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Who knows what Peter Drucker is famous for saying around culture? Probably more of you than think so. You, you, you probably just don't know that it's Peter Drucker who said it. Yes, so you're on the right track. Um, Peter Drucker is considered <clears throat> the father of organizational culture. Okay? He's the guy who said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Who of you have heard that saying? Right, so he said culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that's largely accepted as true. Um, I recently listened to a podcast, the Andy Stanley podcast. Um, Andy Stanley, I think, is a great guy in terms of resources around culture as well, from a biblical point of view. Um, <clears throat> he interviewed the, I think it was, the CFO of Coca-Cola Consolidated. Okay, so it's not the Coca-Cola Group. Um, Coca-Cola Consolidated is. Um, the bottler franchisee, so Coca-Cola contracts with the bottling companies that actually bottle and distribute Coke. Um, so they're the biggest um, Coke franchisee in America. They employ about 16,000 people. They have a very cool vision and mission, and sort of part of their vision is to glorify God. It's on their website. Company of 16,000 people, Coca-Cola's single biggest franchisee. Um, Very cool. If you're interested, they're a nice case study to study. They actually say that culture eats everything. That's what they say in their company. Not only does culture eat strategy, culture just eats everything. Everything starts and ends with culture for us in our company. And uh, from a business point of view, um, my examples come from business. That's where I work. I, I realize that many of us perhaps work in education or in medicine or in government. Um, I'm trusting that you'll see the, the parallels of the principles, even though the specific context may, may not be the same for you. Um, 
to illustrate that, like in a business sense, you could have a strategy that says, you know, our strategy is, you know, a lot of companies these days are talking about client centricity, right? So the client comes first, the customer comes first, we set up a whole business to cater for their needs and to deliver an amazing experience. <clears throat> so the strategy might be, you know, we're going to achieve client centricity through having our frontline staff be more responsive to customers' needs, okay? So they're empowered to make decisions in the moment with the person in front of them and to do what's right for that customer. So like you go to a, to a bank, you go into the branch, um, you know, you, you make a certain request, that's not the formal policy or how the procedure um, works, but the person in front of you is actually empowered to make the decision on the, on the spot. They have the mandate to change that thing in order to create a great experience for you. <clears throat> so that might be the strategy, right? And it can be a clear strategy, it can be rolled out, everybody's on the same page, they believe in the strategy. <clears throat> but the culture of the company may be one where there's a, a fear of punishment, right? So there's a command and control environment where if you do something that costs us money, you get penalized, demoted, or fired, right? So there's a pervasive culture of fear and control in that company. So what do you think are the chances of the employees of that company executing that strategy of being responsive and taking up the mandate and taking initiative with the customer in front of them when they're afraid that if they make the wrong decision and they lose money, there are going to be consequences, or they may even be publicly shamed. Very slim chance, right? And that's the problem that we see in many organizations, um, is that there are great strategies, but that's what it means that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture is huge. In church... <clears throat> We are all individually, so all of us here are members of the local church, right? Um, scripture talks about the body principle. So it says you all are members of the body, okay, with diverse functions that work together to make church happen. Not one of us have exactly the same makeup, right? We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same strengths. We don't have the same personalities. We don't have the same experiences in terms of growing up in a family culture. There are a lot of things that make us different from one another, and Scripture says that's awesome. We need that, okay? We need that diversity. If everyone is an ear, or everyone is a mouth, or everyone is a hand, the body can't function, okay? So we need those diverse functions. It's so crucial, okay? But the local church is also a member of the global church, right? So we're also part of Jesus' bride, which is a body, and we're a member in that body, right? And as all of us, as much as all of us have been given the same mandate, right? We've all been given the same mandate by Jesus. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? Pray that heaven invades earth, that heaven might be on earth, that his kingdom may come here as it is in heaven. We have a slightly different function to perform. If you think about a shofar versus a hillsong, right? Both awesome churches, but they have a slightly different place in society. They're reaching slightly different people. The methods are a little bit different. The one is not better than the other. It's just different, right? There's, su there's such a big harvest field. And it's important that there's diversity of, of members. And so in church, we, we need to have the kind of culture that helps us to perform our function, right? Linking back to the business example. We need to have the kind of culture that makes it easy, that facilitates the expression of our purpose or our function in the greater body. Okay? We all subscribe to biblical principles and values. We all, I think all churches, if they don't, should aim to have a gospel culture. Right? And then I spoke about a gospel culture. I often refer to it as a kingdom culture, so I'm going to use those interchangeably. I think... Um, the gospel is the change agent, right, that brings kingdom on earth here as it is in heaven. So we're all striving for that, but the nuances might be different in each local church around what that looks like practically, 
right? Considering where you're at in the world, which part of society you form part of, etc., etc. Um, to illustrate, I want to share around um, this this church that I really wanted to visit in 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 America. Um, when Lauren and I was engaged, um, I went for a three-month secondment to San Francisco, uh, sorry, to Hawaii, and, and I ended up spending some time of that in San Francisco, and um, there was this church that I was really keen on visiting, and the reason that I wanted to go to this church is because of the testimonies I heard um, of healings and just amazing things happening at the church, and I was hungry for that, and so I was, I was drawn by the testimonies, okay? But when I got there, what made an impact on me was not the testimonies, but it was the culture. That, that in the end actually made a bigger impact on me. I went for the testimonies, so I expected to see the testimonies, and I did. It was amazing. But what I experienced just in interacting with the people in that church really blessed me and transformed my life in a way. Um, and to illustrate this thing around purpose, the link between purpose and, and culture, that our culture needs to facilitate, make it easier for us to fulfill our purpose as a church, why we're here, they say, so what the Lord has shown them as a local church is that our function, our purpose is we're an engine manufacturer, right? So we understand that God sends people from all over the, all over the world here, to be equipped so that they can be sent out again and influence culture and impact all areas of society. So that's, that's our function. That's our purpose. We're an engine manufacturer. The culture then is one of honor. All right? So they actually talk about a culture of honor, a culture of celebration. And I experienced that when I went there. I, initially, it was very awkward for me. Because people will come up to you and they, they'll chat to you very friendly and they just, they just tell you, they just say out loud the good stuff that they see in you. So they're like, yo, I can really see that you, you know, you listen well, you have great communication skills, you, you, you really like an ability to connect with people. And, and they just like affirm you, which is strange because you don't know this person. But they just affirm these things in you and you're like, wow, okay. And so initially I let my guard down a little bit and a natural consequence of that is they, they call out that, they, they talk about calling out the gold. So they see the good stuff that the Lord has placed in you, those things that the Lord put in you for you to have an impact here, and they just actively call it out. And what often happens is the affirmation is followed by prophecy, right? As they're just calling out the good stuff that they're seeing in the natural, it automatically goes into, your the Holy Spirit just brings insight into who that person actually is, even if it hasn't reached the surface yet. It's there, but it hasn't come out yet, and they call that out. And that culture helps them to be that engine manufacturer that equips people to be all that they were created to be, to go out in the world and impact all areas of society. So in Show 5, we're saying that we want a gospel culture, and we talk a lot about the discipleship culture as well, right? We say we, we, want, we know that we have been called to create disciples, that's part of our purpose. That's our function. What kind of culture facilitates that? What kind of culture do we need for that to happen more organically, more easily, more automatically almost? Right? So that's a question we've been asking. Um, for instance, do we have the kind of climate... And I think that we do. I hope that we do. But I think it's important to ask a question, and I think there's always room for growth, to ask the question, do we have the kind of climate? Okay, so let's, let's ask this question. What is, what is our vision as far? Who can recite our vision off by heart? Is it on one of these? See, I see all the, all the eyes drifting that way. I was like, hmm, okay. Subtle, guys. Nice. <laughs> Um, all right, so our vision is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. Right? So that's our vision. That's what we call to. That's, that's, that's our reason for existing, in a sense. Um, 
So if, if it's about discipleship, do we have the kind of climate when people walk through our doors, right? Because you have a culture, whether you're intentional about it or not, you have a culture. And people experience it when they walk into the room. Do we have the kind of climate where someone that walks into the room that's from a diverse background, in the sense that it's a different ethnic group or it's even a different uh, religious background, even if they're still actively practicing that religious background, or if they're, if they're from a different social class, if let's say it's a... Let's say a prostitute walks through the back of the church. Do they feel safe to come here and ask questions about God and be themselves and engage the Lord where they're at? Because the Lord tells us, come as you are, right? But do we create the kind of climate where people can really come as they are, even if it's really uncomfortable <laughs> and it looks really unchristian? <laughs> Because right? if we say that our purpose is discipleship and we know a culture of discipleship, we need to create a climate where that can happen. The other part of discipleship is if we, um, how committed are we to each other's spiritual growth? Practically, right? Do I like deeply care about Antonio's spiritual growth in the sense that I actively encourage him I bring correction in love when it's necessary. I share testimonies with him. I pray for him when he's going through a tough time. Um, to what extent do we do that? I'm not answering the questions. I'm just asking the questions. Okay, these are things that I've been thinking about that I'm, I'm working through. Um, okay, so what is culture? Let's look at that. Culture is the beliefs and behaviors that are characteristic of a particular community of people. Okay, that's a mouthful. Let's uh, say that again. It's about the beliefs and behaviors, okay, that define a group of people. Put more simply, it's the way we do things around here. Um, I like what Henny said. We had a, a brief conversation about culture the other day, and, and he said, culture is to the community what habit is to the individual. Okay. Culture is also its implicit permission to do certain things or behave in a certain way, right? What's acceptable in that environment? What kind of environment do we, do we create? So it's about beliefs and behaviors. Which comes first? Sorry? Beliefs. Absolutely. So beliefs absolutely drive behavior. Behavior is easier to observe, though. It's easier to see behavior, and it's easier to hold each other accountable to behavior because it's observable and because you can see it. It's more tangible, right? It's an outward expression. Um, and so culture is often transferred through behavior. But it's important to understand that belief drives behavior. And so it actually starts with belief. And so actually changing belief begins to change behavior, begins to shift culture. Right? Scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it starts here. And the heart, the heart in that context in Scripture includes belief. It includes core beliefs. It's obviously not the physical, organic heart. Um, it's, it's those core beliefs. It's the center of who we are. It's, it's, that, it's that thing that determines everything that we do. All right? So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of belief comes behavior. And behavior and belief together form culture. For example, some of you may have heard, I think it's a common example, but you may, um, you may preach... Chicken pox, right? So I may preach chicken pox to you. But if I have measles, what will you get? You'll get measles, right? Even though I say chicken pox, chicken pox, chicken pox, you'll get... And some of you are cringing. I know it's a little bit of a gross, gross analogy. But um, what we believe will inevitably manifest in our behaviors, even if we say, because often we know what the right things are, and we confess those things, but that's not what we do, <laughs> Right? And I think all the parents in the room can uh, testify to this, right? 
You say to your kids, you must do that because it's the right thing. But they don't do what you say, they do what you do, right? And what you really believe, not what you know is right or what you think you should be doing, but what you really believe is what manifests in your behavior. And so in order to change that behavior in a sustainable way, you actually first have to identify and change that belief. We often sing, um, Lord, I give you my heart. And, and that's so good. We need to give the Lord our hearts. But sometimes we need to give him our beliefs. Lord, I give you my beliefs. They're not in line with your word, Lord. I give them to you. Um, to further illustrate, I can say that I, I can say that I believe in, in, I believe it's important to delegate, right? I buy into that idea. I think delegation is a good idea. We should be doing it. But internally, if I'm honest, I believe that Really, I do it best. And that person's not going to do it the same. And it's not quite as good. And so my delegation is going to be superficial at best. I'm going to give just the easy, like, scrap works. that's like copy-paste kind of delegation work. And I'm going to watch over their shoulder. And I'm going to try to control it. So even though I, be I believe it's the right thing, it shows up differently in my behavior if that's not really... If there's a conflicting belief, right? That's a personal example, by the way. <laughs> um, right. So belief shapes behavior. So effectively, belief shapes culture. Culture starts with those core beliefs. What forms our beliefs? Um, what I'm sharing now is, I think, you know... A lot of what I've been sharing, who of you have met John Andrews? He's been teaching him for a while. Um, so so this, is, this is some of the stuff that he shared on culture when he came here. Um, there's also a video that he does on, on culture. It's on the Shofar website. Um, it's around developing a, a discipleship culture. Um, but he starts off by talking about culture more, more broadly. And so if you're interested, I'd really recommend that as a resource as well. What shapes our belief as as an organization or a church, mainly two things. The first is vision, okay? So vision, we spoke about what our church vision is. It's about um, reaching nations and generations through discipleship making, leadership development, and church planting, okay? Vision is something that draws us together and helps set direction. It paints a clear picture of what we want to achieve or become in the future. A good vision and a vision that's really bought into unites us around a common purpose. Okay? It unites us. That's so powerful. Like, if we have the same vision and we all believe in that vision and we believe in working towards that vision together, it unites us. And unity is so profound. So important. We really need to fight for unity. Um, so it's purpose expressed as a desired end state. That clear picture of what we want to become or what we want to achieve in the future. So it's purpose expressed as a desired end state. If we think about a bus or a, a road trip, I decided a bus because a bus is like a physical thing that you can picture in your mind. But if you go on a road trip, the vision is the destination, right? So we're going to... Where do you want to go? Cape Town. <laughs> okay. So the vision is Cape Town. All right. That's the destination that the bus is heading into. Um, values then is how we get there. What happens on the bus between Joburg and Cape Town? All right. How do we interact with each other on this bus? That's what values is all about. Okay, so values is keeps us together and helps maintain momentum. It's the how. Values are so important because the end may never justify the means. In other words, we don't want to get to Cape Town at all costs, right? We don't want to get to Cape Town if that means that we're going to have to do something that goes against our values, 
right? Let's rather delay getting to Cape Town. Let's rather get there a little bit slower, but make sure that we don't say we're going to get there at all costs in the sense that we throw aside integrity and honor and some of the things that we hold dear as values, okay? A value I want to define as a core belief expressed as a behavior. Okay, so value is a core belief expressed as a behavior. What are our values in Shofar? So two of them are on the front, I know, I saw them. Power of belief, purpose to pursue, and there's two more. Oh, there are the other ones. Someone can read well. Good eyesight there from the back. I know you know it off by heart, eh, Anu? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, passion for Jesus and people to serve. Right? Um, that's great. Those are amazing values. They talk to a gospel culture. But what does it look like? Very important question. What does it look like? Do we know when someone's doing it or not doing it? Right? And I think that's where, that's where we perhaps need to spend a little bit of time. What does it look like? And those are some of the conversations I think we'll have going forward is, if we know what it looks like, then we can celebrate it when someone does it. And we can say, wow, that's what power of belief looks like. That's what purpose to pursue looks like. That's what a passion for Jesus or people to serve looks like. Um, because when you know what it looks like, it becomes a lot easier to model it and to teach it, right? To have conversations about it um, and just making it really practical. So the big question then, how do we, how do we shape culture? We understand why it's important. We understand what it is. How do we shape culture? Starts with me, right? Culture starts with me. I want to say that again. Culture starts with me. Um, it get, of, culture can sometimes just feel like this big thing, this community thing that's difficult to shift, and it is difficult to shift. And um, I want to just say, I think maybe I should have said this more clearly in the beginning. I, I love our culture. I don't think that we have a culture problem, but I do think... The Lord has been speaking to us and we've been having conversations and with many of you around being more intentional around culture. Maybe here and there are, there are some tweaks that we need to make and maybe here or there we need to understand what we want to emphasize specifically. Right? But culture starts with me. And once I, there's been a personal cultural transformation, then I can lead others into the kind of culture that we want. So how do I change myself? We've said that belief drives behavior, right? Um, love this verse. Love this scripture. Romans 12 verse 2 says, um, Do not be conformed to this world. And world there literally means like this age. This, the, the mainstream worldviews, the mainstream narratives and perspectives of how the world operates. Right? Don't be conformed to that. It's so easy to be conformed to that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So the renewing of the mind there is forming new core beliefs for myself. I used to believe this. Something happened. I realized that what I believe is actually... I didn't know it was a blind spot, right? It's, it's usually not intentional. But um, that's not in line with, with truth, you know? And what is truth? Um, who have you, it's one of those DVDs, those um, Furious Love or Finger of God, and there's, there's this old like Dutch um, pastor, love that. He said, um, what is truth? He says, truth is not a, Truth is not a doctrine. Truth is a person. Right? What did Jesus say? I am the truth, the way and the life. 
right? So it's, it's really knowing Him. It's really having an encounter with Jesus that shapes our beliefs, that brings renewal of mind. Practically, that happens through time in the Word. It happens through relationship with the Holy Spirit. It happens through having solid friendships, friends who are willing to speak the truth in love, right? So for a personal transformation to take place, culture starts with me, right? So for a personal transformation to take place, I need an encounter with truth to almost to like it's a mirror, right? That shows me whether what I'm really believing, how that's manifesting in my behavior, is that like is that Jesus or not? And then through that encounter with him, through time in the word, relationship with the Holy Spirit, friends who speak the truth in love, we can begin to to shift our beliefs and, and be really transformed because we're not into we're not into um, behavior modification, right? The gospel is not about behavior modification. The gospel is about real transformation, real inside-out change. Because we can have a we can drive uniformity in church, right? We don't want to do that, and we're not. <laughs> I think trying at all costs to not do that. But we could do that and say, this is what it looks like. We must just do this. You know, if you do this, great Christian, great community, great culture. And we're doing the same things, but it's behavior modification. It's not change. It starts here and then manifests in action. And it's, it's really only that encounter with truth, that encounter with Jesus, with the gospel, that can facilitate that change here. And that's where it starts. That's where the shift takes place. Practically through time in the Word, relationship with the Holy Spirit and friends, um, community who speak the truth in love. To share an example from my family, um, Lauren and I, Lauren and I both love this topic, and we often speak about it. And we come from, um, I'm sure every 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 married couple believes this, and it's probably true. We come from two very different family cultures. <laughs> uh, first off, I grew up in Afrikaans home. Lauren grew up in an English home. So that's already... Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, not really, but I'm actually serious. Um, so we spoke about this and we are like, well, how does this manifest in our home, right? What are some of the beliefs we've carried over? Because there's so many things over here that can shape our beliefs, Right. Um, Henny, I remember a sermon Henny preached on sources of authority. And it's like, what are the authorities of truth in your life? Like, does, does your experiences predominantly shape your beliefs? Or are you open for the Holy Spirit to use experiences to embed gospel beliefs in you? Right? Experience actually just exposes your current belief. But then it says... How do we, you know, what, what, is, what is true? What, what does the word say? Who is Jesus in this circumstance? But so there are many things that could potentially shape our beliefs. And I think a lot of it happens in family. That's why family, God is so for family, right? Because if you can get a healthy, not a perfect, there's no such thing this out of eternity as a perfect family culture, but a healthy family culture. If you can get that, like, battles halfway won, Right? And often many of the beliefs that we carry that are not kingdom beliefs, that are not beneficial in our relationship with God, was inherited through family. You know, We love our families, and, like, and again, it wasn't intentional, but often it's the reality. And we were talking about this, and we have many examples on both sides. And you know, our own family culture, we're obviously still developing that as well. Um, Lauren shared an example of her family, uh, shared an example that kind of put her family in the dishonorable light. <laughs> so I thought, no, I'm not going to share that one. I'm going to share one of my own. Um, where my family, you know, growing up, this has changed to a large extent now, but my family growing up, we, I think we'd say that we value people and that it's important to celebrate people. But the underlying belief I realized only recently, you know, like I said, I think it has changed now, but while I was growing up, the underlying belief was um, over-celebrating someone leads to pride. 
And that, I don't know, maybe that's, I don't know if I can say that's an Afrikaans thing. Maybe it's not pervasive. Um, I've observed it in some other Afrikaans families, but I don't want to make that a general statement. Um, but it's this false humility of, we don't want to celebrate you too much because then your head is going to get too big, right? And that's, if I read like the account of the, the parable son, that's not what it's all about, right? That dad runs. We know that it was completely undignified for a Hebrew man in that day, day and age to run, to pick up like his thing and run. That was completely humiliating and undignifying. But he runs towards his son. He like just jumps on him, throws his arms around him, cries over him, kisses him, slaughters the fattened calf, puts his robe and his ring and his sandals on his son. That to me is not a picture of, oh no, you know, lest you get a big head. Actually, actually that really humbles you when you celebrate it to that extent. We just had a birthday party last night and it was just Lauren and our family with our boys and a friend of ours with his wife and direct family, mom and dad and two sisters, his 30th birthday. And we sat for an hour and a half around the table after dinner. And it was so humbling to see how his family celebrated him. But it was, it was such a profound moment. It was such a, like, this is heaven on earth right here, right now. Um, his dad, his mom, his two sisters with tears in their eyes, just like saying to him who he is and what they appreciate about him for an hour and a half. And uh, he could just say afterwards, what I'm hearing is overwhelming and to me it just proved that proves that God exists. Because everything you're saying, that wasn't true my whole life. But what you're seeing now is a testimony to the fact that God is real and that He changes people. And so that was our family. I think that was the underlying belief. We can't over-celebrate because then the prize is going to kick in, right? And we need to keep you humble. Um, and that's a... That's a, a, that's a I have great parents, and I'm so appreciative of the way they raised us, and I received an amazing legacy, but it's not perfect. And I need to be real about that, and we need to be real about the fact that we have existing core beliefs. All of us have existing core beliefs, things that we hold true in our hearts. I promise you, for not one of us are all of those true, Right? I'm going to reference Henny again. It was a sermon in Stellenbosch years ago, and he, he, I think he started off the sermon, and he just said, um, all of us are deceived in one way or another. <laughs> we should just acknowledge that today, make peace with it, and then we can work from there. <laughs> you know? Meaning that not one of us have perfect revelation of truth. We're still growing. We're still being transformed into the image of Christ. So let's just acknowledge that, right? There's freedom in acknowledging that, that there are certain truths that I hold dear in my heart, you know, not intentionally, just through experiences and da 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 that the Holy Spirit is still bringing to light and still shaping and still transforming. And so cultural transformation starts with me. Okay. Paul Manwaring says, um, first it needs to be head knowledge. I need to know it. Then it needs to be heart knowledge. Talks about that drop. It's to be real here. I need to really believe it. Um, and then it's about a personal culture, about habits that I form over years. So that's, start, culture starts with me, personal change, personal transformation, and then I can be a catalyst for, for culture change as well. Um, how do I impact communities? Malcolm Gladwell Amazing author. He's a believer as well, but he, he, he write, writes mainly in the mainstream domain, so not in a, you know, Andre spoke yesterday about the false, false divide between sacred and secular, which I believe, but so he, he doesn't write predominantly for Christians. Um, his work's very popular. Many of you may be familiar with it. He says in his book, The Tipping Point, that 4% 
of a community can shift the culture of that community. If they really and really believe in that culture and they live it out in an observable, passionate way, 4%. So in a room of, let's say we're 150 here this morning, six people. No, is my math right? Is it? More or less, give or take. <laughs> Anu gives a thumbs up, thanks. Um, six people, right? Sometimes culture can feel like this mammoth task, right? And we're just like, oh, it's so big. We don't know where to start. It's just going to not work. Let's just not even bother, right? It says 4%. If you really, if those 4% are really, really, really bought into it and they go for it, okay? A um, couple of things to mention around how I impact culture in a community sense. First, personal change. Then I can be a catalyst. True leaders are culture catalysts. Okay? And so as a leader, and by the way, we, all of us in the room are leaders. Okay? Um, again, Andres yesterday mentioned at the leadership workshop that Fred many years ago said, um, if you can read, write, and count, you're a leader on this continent. Right? That includes all of us. You can read, write, and count. On top of that, you're a believer. <laughs> so each one of us are leaders, and true leaders are culture catalysts. And it's so important as leaders that we are... It's important to us who we're becoming. All right? We're often very um, preoccupied with what we're doing, what needs to be done, what's urgent, what's the practical task in front of us. But it's so important who we're becoming in that process. Okay? There's also some research. Unfortunately, I forgot the, the details. I'm going to quote it as best I can. Um, but I, I came across some research that said, as, as human beings, we only have capacity to... To be conscious about our behavior, about like less than 20% of the time. I actually think it was a lot lower than that, but I, I don't remember the exact number. So I'll just say less than 20% of the time, meaning that more than 80% of the time, we're in default mode. We just do what comes naturally, what comes automatically to us. We don't have the emotional capacity and energy to 100% of the time be completely intentional about what we're saying and what we're doing in terms of our behaviors and our gestures and our words. We, we can only really be conscious about that for less than 20% of the time. So, you know, let's make that a priority, who we're becoming in that process, because people will copy who we're becoming. And as we grow in terms of leadership, um, influence, and positions, and those kind of things, it becomes more visible. Um, an unfortunate analogy, I... When I was working at Deloitte, I had the opportunity, I mentioned to my journey coach um, that I am passionate about culture, I'm interested, and she arranged the meeting with me on the same day with the COO for Deloitte Africa. He owed her a favor, and so she said she'd put in the favor for me. And uh, I was able to interview him for an hour around how he thinks about culture. And uh, I won't use his exact words because I don't think it's appropriate in church, but he said, um, to paraphrase, poo rolls downhill. I was like, that's strange. I mean, gravity, I'm sure, I'm sure everything else rolls downhill as well. What he meant by that was that um, what, what leaders do is multiplied throughout the organization, Right? And so he said, for me, I'm the COO, right? I'm the chief operating officer of Deloitte across Africa. We can put respect as a core value on every pillar in this building. But if I shout at my secretary, no one's going to feel they have to respect anyone. And then are we travel agents or tour guides in terms of helping others um, to live out culture. What does a travel agent do? A travel agent says, here's your booking, go there, enjoy your trip. This is our culture, go and do it. 
right? Or are we tour guides? I actually go with you on that trip, right? But yes, I felt it too. <laughs> when I typed this on the slide, I, I was just convicted. So I was like, oof. I felt it too. Yeah, there's like a bit of a, oof, do I do that? Right? I'm going with you. We're doing this together. Let's figure out what it looks like. Let's have a conversation. Let's pray about it. Let's give each other feedback. Um, how do I impact communities? Uh, this is a couple of points by Andy Stanley. I highlighted the fifth one. I think Andy Stanley missed it a little bit with this one specifically. Because I think that one should have been first. Um, embrace it personally. Right? This is just a fun model if, you, if, you, if you're hoping to be deliberate about influencing culture wherever you are. Um, state it simply. Cast it convincingly. Repeat it regularly. Celebrate it systematically. I'm, I'm passionate about that one as well. And um, embracing it personally. Culture starts with me. Right? And then, um, you don't have to show the last slide. I, culture looks like something. We spoke about the fact that um, culture looks like something. Um, we spoke about things like in the past around we're high on accountability and low on control. Right? Every member is a minister. Um, we value participation before performance. And tying back to the gospel culture that we spoke about earlier, if we're saying we, we want a gospel culture where we recognize that we're only qualified to minister because of what Jesus did on the cross, that's where participation before performance comes from, right? That's where every member of minister comes from, is the fact that Jesus has done it. Cool, we can go. We can minister. And as we minister, we become more mature. As we participate, we I don't like to use perform, but we perform better, right? Um, and so that's, that's just a practical outflow of what, what culture might look like in our context. But I want to just say that we, we really do have it on our hearts, and you do too, because many of you have we've just spoken about it, and the Lord, I think, is really wanting to, in this time, just lead us into being more intentional about culture. And this morning is really a, a conversation starter, we're going to do a series, and um, Henny will be sharing, and a lot of the other guys will also be sharing on culture. And we want to invite you to be part of the conversation. You are already part of the conversation, but I want to deliberately and explicitly also just say, you're such a vital part of this process. And we're going to arrange for, I think, I'm, I'm trying to twist Henny's arm that on the family camp, we'll spend some time on culture where we can just have conversations and explore what that looks like, and just align as a family, and that kind of thing. Right? Some nods, some yards, so that's good. Um, I'm really concerned about, concerned in the sense that I care about um, Lauren. <laughs> we have very different personali personalities. Lauren, um, Lauren's amazing, eh? Hey? <laughs> Amen. Um, Lauren wants to see results today. That's her personality. So she wants to see the signs and the fruit and the stuff today. I am concerned about what are we doing today to create the kind of environment tomorrow that will help those things to happen naturally. What, what, what's the environment? Are we creating an environment of freedom? Are we creating an environment of responsibility? Are we creating an environment of spoke yesterday about trust and about courage and a lot of these values, right? That will make it easier for us just for the Holy Spirit to feel welcome here and to do what he needs to do, for people to come here and to experience Jesus and being mindful and intentional around the kind of environment that we're creating. Can we stand? I just want to pray for us. Um, I, just, I just want to bless you as, as leaders and as, as culture catalysts this morning um, before we close. Father, we just thank you that you are the author of culture. 
No, we thank you, Lord, that there is a culture in heaven, God. There is a kingdom culture, Lord, a gospel culture that Jesus came to model, God, and that currently exists in heaven. Lord, that you have such a desire to see manifested here on earth, Lord. And you don't do that in some weird mystical way, Lord. You do it through us. We are your change agents here, Lord, Father. And as the gospel transforms us, Lord, we bring a kingdom culture here on earth. Lord, and I just bring every person here today before you, Lord. And I just thank you for a congregation full of leaders, Father God, full of culture catalysts, Father God, full of influences of society, Father God. And I bless each person here, Father, this morning in the name of Jesus, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you say that the good work I've started in you, I will bring it into completion till the day of Christ, Father God. May you continue, Lord, to transform us through the renewal of our minds, Lord, while we have that encounter with Jesus, Lord, so that we may look more like him, we may know you better, and we may have an even greater influence in the world, Father God. We thank you that you give us practical wisdom, Lord, practical insight, Lord. I thank you just for favor, Lord, and influence with the people around us, Father God. Oh, Lord, even just in this time in our country, Father God, Lord, I thank you for many lighthouses, Lord, here this morning, Father God, just a beacon, Lord, of what it looks like, what righteousness and justice looks like, Lord, what mercy and grace looks like, Father God. Thank you that there are leaders here, Father, that have been called to model that, Father God, in this time, in this context, Father God. What does mercy look like? What does grace look like? What does justice and righteousness look like in our nation now, Father God? And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to carry that burden alone, Lord. We don't have to perform in it, Father God, but we do need to remain close to you, Father God, and pursue intimacy with the, the lover of our souls, um, Jesus. Jesus, we just say that you are the truth. And we want to know you more, Lord. It, it begins and it ends with you, Lord. You are the ultimate culture catalyst, Lord Jesus. And uh, we want to be more like you, Lord. Use us, God. We, you know, we just give you our hearts, we give you our beliefs, and we, we give you our lives, Lord, this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.com.